1: everybody. Welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. My name is Tracy Brown. Leslie will be joining us in just a minute. And for more than four years, we have been doing this show to remind ourselves to say yes to spirit. Yes. I mean, like, really say yes to spirit, operating in our lives, uh, recognizing the power and the presence of spirit in our lives. And, uh, being reminded or reminding each other that it really is a commitment, a commitment to say yes to that intuitive voice and to that divine wisdom that's always present. But isn't it interesting how often we, as human beings, turn our back to the power and the presence of spirit, the power and presence of God? And if you're like me, a lot of the time you don't intentionally turn away from spirit, but you get caught up in just being human and having your experience and dealing with whatever you have to deal with every day that you kind of forget that you have that option, that you have that opportunity actually to um, turn some of your life over to the Creator. So that's what we do with Say Yes to Spirit. We simply remind ourselves, and Leslie and I remind each other, and you get to come along for the ride. You may be familiar with uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, Reverend Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith from the Agape International Spiritual Center in Culver City, California. And um, on, on his CD, one of his CDs, there's the first song on the CD is Adventure in Paradise. And there's a line in there that says, you know, I'm on an adventure in paradise. And guess what? I'm taking you with me. I love that line. I love that phrase, that sequence. And that's what Leslie and I hope happens to you. When you come along on our Say Yes to Spirit ride, uh, we're taking you with us, and that you always end your listening with a recommitment to saying yes to spirit. Just in case this is your first time listening in, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the show and how we format it. Uh, we do every week choose a theme or a topic, and the primary purpose of that theme or topic is just to get us started with a focus. Because really, you know, anything we talk about, anything anyone could talk about, you can talk about the impact of spirit um, with that topic. But we pick a topic to give us a little bit of a focus. Most of the time we stay with the topic, but there have been those times where You know, 20 minutes into the show, we realize, oh, you know, we said the topic, and then we went off on this tangent, and the tangent becomes the topic of the show. And who knows? That could happen today. Today our theme is grief. And uh, if you read the um, introduction on uh, the show page... It basically reminds us that grief gets generated in many, many, many different ways. And it shows up differently for different people. And the grief you experience because someone you've known for 30 years and loved dies, their body dies, they pass on, um, might be different than the grief you experience when you get uh, fired from a job unexpectedly. But really, it's all grief, and there are some similarities. There are some similarities with that grief, and there are also some distinctions. So we'll have an opportunity to talk about that today um, as we get into the show. We're going to take a quick little 40-second break, and then we'll come back and jump into the rest of the show for today. Stay with us. with Say Yes to Spirit. This is Tracy, and um, it is time for us to do another feature that is a regular feature on our show, which is, if you are listening to the music in the background now, it is our Connect the Dots. What we do in Connect the Dots is we simply... um, connect the dots from our most recent show to this. And uh, our most recent show, the topic was suicide. And today's topic is grief. And I don't know if there's any easier in the four and a half years we have done this, but Leslie insists that we do it. So, Leslie, connect the dots. And, you know, probably why I like it so much is is
0: it's such an obvious thing. And if we really look at it, everything connects. Like you said, we connect the dots because things are connected and usually not quite as obvious, as you said, as grief and suicide. But And it's interesting though to me, grief, and I'm really kind of, it's a good topic for me today, the idea of um, anticipatory grief <laughs> and um, the idea currently in my life, I have a kitty cat that's as you can do with animals, you can't do with people, but you can kind of uh, look at them and know they're sick and kind of have options to help them transcend before they do that naturally in a more painful way than they would do if you helped them. And um, it's interesting in some ways, talking about suicide last week, about, you know, people like myself who kind of have suicide as kind of an option and kind of looking ahead to, you know, how how that suicide is kind of a relief thought, and in a way um, grieving is uh, is, a, is a relief valve, and um, being able to kind of anticipatorily grieve my kitty cat and, you know, have to spend the last few kind of hours or days with her, um, there could be a, a great amount of, um, I guess soothing, if that's the right word, But um, but it's a good topic for me today, and I'm I'm pleased we're not talking about suicide. I think that was (laughs) a little hard on me. But anyway, and since it's all about me, Tracy, I do appreciate you participating in my life's path by choosing topics that fit for me.
1: Yeah. My pleasure (laughs) to be of service.
0: To be of service, that's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just laughing because, you know, it's so funny. Sometimes we do pick the topics, you know, like kind of related to what's going on. But more often than not, we just schedule a series of topics. We don't know what's going to be happening four weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks down the line. And then we get to that week and we look at, oh, here's the topic this week. And we go, oh, how perfect is that?
0: Isn't that something Mm yet? You know, I didn't know.
1: So that's a great Connect the Dots. We'll take our little customary one-minute break, and then we'll come back and really dive into this theme for today of grief. for staying with us on Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie, and our theme today is Grief. And there are so many different ways to jump into this, but I think, Leslie, you actually already jumped into it, and uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about, um, you just want to talk a little bit more about where you're standing in this topic right now? Yeah, again, I think um, I worked in
0: hospice for years for people dying, and watching family members, um, it's a much more difficult (laughs) path in a way because as you're watching a human die, you know, it's definitely on the human terms in terms of when they die. You can't know, okay, 2 o'clock this afternoon is going to be the time they die when you can, you know, sort of schedule that for animals. But there is something so sacred about knowing, you know, this person or this animal, this soul that I love, you know, is going to transcend at some point soon and how that deepens the connection and you always hear uh, people talk about, you know, these experiences when you know someone's dying, how that relationship becomes so much more meaningful and uh, repetitively, I would hear families talk about, you know, why did I not take the time when this person was alive to have this kind of quality conversations and, you know, sitting in silence or being fully present and, you know, let a day-to-day kind of things that we get lost in slip to the side and really be present to how fabulous this friendship or this family member has been. And um, so grief sort of, I guess I don't know where I'm coming up with this word, of anticipatory grief, you know, understanding that the time is limited, how that seems to deepen things. And so in many ways, grieving um, is an amazing gift if we can kind of live our lives in that sort of, you know, understanding that things aren't permanent and how many times we get lost thinking, you know, I need to worry about you know doing laundry um, versus you know that little voice in the back of my head saying you know call my mother, or call my friend, or we put those kinds of voices to the side and get lost in the day-to-day kind of mix. And um, many times, I think what what we regret—regret's a terrible word—but what we regret is you know those times when we didn't stop and really be present with those that we cherish. That's end of that thought. <laughs> do you, do you, do you, I mean, do you find yourself, you know, I don't know. You you've had family members die, brothers die and you know I don't um I don't know that we hold on to that okay commitment now I'm going to really spend time with people that I love. You know, we kind of have a window of time after something tragic happens that we make all sorts of assertions and then suddenly you know life happens again and
1: through listening
0: to shows like this and through hearing other people talk maybe we can you know reground ourselves or reconnect ourselves to the people that we do love and reaching out to them and you know i work in the jail and it's um probably at least once a month we'll have a woman in jail that will learn from a officer or a chaplain that Someone they care deeply about has died, and they're in jail, and they can't go to the funeral. They can't, and that is um, a real sort of mind-blowing thing to to not um, not be able to have those final moments in person, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I and I think um, I think a couple of things that we do anticipate the grief. And sometimes that sometimes that can be a motivator to behave differently in whatever time there is remaining, you know, whether it's a pet or a person or a job. Uh, you know, I've I've worked oh, with yeah. companies where employees knew that the company was shutting down, you know, December 31st, and they, you know, were encouraged to stay. In fact, incented. Financially, you know, they don't want everybody to bail in the last 60 days. So, you know, if you stay till the last day, you know, we'll give you the equivalent of three-month salary, you know, so people will stay. But the whole time they're there, they're working, but they are, you know, in that sense of I'm not going to be with these people anymore because I'm going to be working somewhere else. I'm not going to be serving these clients or customers anymore, and it is very much the same thing that all of a sudden we place a higher value on the same human beings or the same you know people and systems and processes we've been using automatically or taking or, or have taken for granted and uh, and grief still shows up in the same way, that cycle. That cycle of being angry or that cycle of being in denial and then angry and then, you know, like dealing with it in whatever ways that, you know, I can deal with it. And so I think it's not just... Um, people, that grieving itself is really the response to the loss of anything mm-hmm.
0: well, a, yeah. or
1: anyone mm-hmm. we, sometimes even people, we don't really care about, but what it means to us. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it upsets our apple cart. And you, you talked about uh,
0: the stages of grief, that, uh, who was it, Hoover Ross?
1: created Mm -hmm. that
0: back I guess in the 80s and it's interesting to think about how much relief comes from knowing I remember when as I was starting out as a therapist when those stages were sort of unveiled and it was so significant to give people sort of um, permission in some ways it gave them permission to say okay here are these stages and you're going to go back and forth and there's no particular order that they're going to happen. But it sort of allowed them to give themselves permission to have these stages and to not feel crazy. And it's interesting when we allow ourselves or give ourselves permission to deeply feel and not think, oh, we're the only ones that have felt this way or especially some of the more like the anger stage and some of the things that we think, oh, I can't, allow myself to feel that, but then to have someone from the outside come in and say, oh, no, that's normal, oh, no, that's reasonable, oh, no, you need to be, allow yourself to have that feeling. Um, there's a, I guess I, I also keep coming back to the word, you know, it's sort of a sacred kind of time because it's such a deep uh, experience. Such a, It really connects us that, to who we truly are because it's so raw, it's so real, it's so Um, it sort of has a life of its own like grief does and in a strange way um, I'm listening to Oprah's having this Soul Series kind of marathon and and one of the themes in all of the Soul Series people is this idea of accepting what is and how freeing that can be and allowing ourselves to really be um, present is the only way to kind of really live authentically. And um, in some ways, uh, there's no more sort of big neon sign of, of living in the present moment than when we're, you know, absorbed into grief. And I love what you said about um, businesses or people, you know, entities grieving that. I had several psych hospitals that I worked at that closed, and we had that exact kind of Thing that you talked about, you know, stay on. We're going to close, you know, in August, and it was, you know, May, and and to have those final three or four months of knowing this this space, these people that I don't really like, you know, ultimately we did, yeah. Then they, then somehow those relationships really become more, more sacred.
1: Yeah, I I always laugh actually because in situations like that in the workplace. Um, whether it's an employee who either dies or goes on long-term disability because of cancer or some illness or it's the company is shutting down or being acquired invariably you know there's always that person who a month earlier or a week earlier (laughs) before they you know like it'd be me saying you know my friends would be I'd go home every day and I'd be talking about how Leslie gets on my nerves Mm -hmm. and and she doesn't know what she's doing and, oh, she just makes my job so hard. And then all of a sudden, Leslie's not in the picture anymore or all of our jobs Mm -hmm. are going away. And my friends start hearing me talk about, you know, Leslie did the nicest thing today. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, what's happened here? Because all of a sudden... The petty little stuff doesn't distract me, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm looking for the good, mm-hmm. even though because because I I'm getting ready to lose it, mm-hmm. right? And I'm and I don't know what's in the unknown. I don't know what's coming mm-hmm. next.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is you know that for me the the idea of grief is you're mourning what will never happen. <laughs> Even though we say, I'm so, I'm grieving that my brother passed. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You're grieving that you won't get to be with him at Christmas next sure, year. Sure. You're grieving that you'll never know what he would be like at the age of 75 because mm-hmm. he's 63 and he dies. You're grieving all that you might imagine, or the story you made up about the future, or that you're imagining the future might have been like, and now you'll never know, and you don't know what it's gonna be like to not have him there. So you're not really grieving, even when people like are, you mentioned before, kind of the regret, a regret that I didn't take more time. You're not grieving that you didn't take more time mm. You're grieving that now you don't have a chance in the future to mm. take more time mm-hmm. because you were so busy at least for me in my, mm-hmm. I mean yeah, I don't I've not true. read anything that said that, <laughs> but in all of the you know grief situations I've been in in my decades of experience in the human form <laughs> It seems to me like that's really the pattern. That's really what's happening, and that's why so often, you know, at funerals or memorial services, someone speaking will say, you know, this service, we don't need to do anything for this person who has departed this physical life. The service really is for the family and the friends who are quote-unquote left behind, Mm -hmm. who are still here and have to navigate the human World without this key person in mm-hmm. their lives mm-hmm. in their lives anymore, and so it's like, yeah, it's like, how do you move forward? How do you go on? And and how do you bridge how it was when that person was alive or that cat was alive with how it's going to be next year, mm-hmm. next month, yeah. next you know, five years from now. And
0: is there something sort of, um, you know, natural, I guess, about you know, the, the cycle of nature, and the seasons that teach us, uh, you know, fall and winter, so quote unquote, the the dying process and the seasons and the, the nature and, and and things going fallow? Is that the word? And um, how? if we really allow that process to have its way with us then the spring is so much richer so much uh more vibrant and um and so not losing sight i guess of the purpose of grieving or the gift of grieving and the gift of um understanding wow you know this was a powerful experience that i had and As you said, if I can get out of, but I'm not going to have it tomorrow. If I can live in, I guess, again experiencing the feeling of it. Isn't it strange how we try to avoid, um, uh, you know, not grieving? And again, working with these women in the jail, uh, many of them have had one of the key kind of traumas that they've had is the death of a parent or the death of a child and they have used alcohol or drugs from the moment they found out that this person died and so they kind of locked that grief away and it's kind of waiting for them and it doesn't matter if a month has passed or 20 years, you know, that grief is just as raw and just as deep when they uncover it sober or clean when they're, when they're able to, you know, we have a grief packet that, that we encourage the women to do in pairs and to process as they're doing it. And, um, and it's really, uh, you can energetically see a difference in a woman once she starts doing the grief packet and starts allowing those locked away feelings to kind of come up and be experienced and, and come out. And how much of, you know, unresolved grief, unresolved feelings kind of weigh on us energetically, physically, spiritually. And uh, the resistance to feeling is such a common human thing. Oh, I don't want to let myself, I'll never stop crying or I'll never, you know, I can't survive this. This is too much. But ultimately, you know, it's the denial of it or the burying of it is the thing that um, becomes most self-destructive. Absolutely. (laughs) You have a thought. I can see it. Nobody gets what you're thinking. I'm sure I have a thought. (laughs) You don't know what your thought is? Yeah, yeah, I don't have the words to describe the thought in Uh this very Uh moment. Uh You know, it's interesting um, to think about the, the spiritual journey and how my spiritual practice um, can keep me grounded in a way we've talked about it a lot on the show in terms of spiritual practices kind of like depositing money in an emotional bank and so when things happen uh, in the human realm that are quote-unquote devastating if i've been doing my spiritual practice if i've been keeping up my um my end of the spiritual sort of um Bank account, then I have a reserve to be able to handle things differently, so it's always kind of an indicator uh of my um, inner journey in terms of how I handle the loss of an animal, the loss of a job, the loss of a human, and it, you know it's sort of like too bad I can't go back and uh, deposit money in that bank now. You know, what I'm saying? Like, wow. Why right. haven't I been meditating every day for the last six months? This would have been what? a really good time to.
1: Yeah, it's like now <laughs> I think about <laughs> it. Now I wish I had all that emotional money. I need it now. Where's that loan? Who can give me that loan? And right, and it's the kind of thing that you can't get from outside of yourself. Although, well, not in a long-lasting way. I was going to say you can't get the relief from outside of yourself, and then I thought about even—I mean, this week someone coming to me as a spiritual practitioner and asking me for prayer, mm-hmm. and and the comment that she made afterwards was like real surprise. But she said, wow, I feel better. Oh, right, right. And so, you know, I think a lot about, okay, so some of that is you asked for prayer, and so you, there was some part of you that expected that prayer would help. It's an opening for that, yeah. Right, there's, you know, there's some of that, like Mm -hmm. you actually asked for Mm -hmm. prayer. I didn't Mm -hmm. come up to you and say, Oh, you my need prayer. You need prayer. <laughs> Sit down, shut up, and take it in. You know, yes. so there's a part of me that says, okay, well, that's, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy and that. But the the tone, and it happens, regu- you know, pretty regularly of people who ask for prayer, but they literally gener- are genuinely surprised at how much better they feel. But the reality is that, yes. Prayer helps, and someone else can do the prayer,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you have the opening for it. But maintaining it, mm-hmm. maintaining that, mm-hmm. is an inside job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're gonna call someone else or talk to someone else and say, "Okay, Tracy's prayer was really good for 24 hours, but now it's been 28 <laughs> hours, and I'm starting. I need another hit, right?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and so it's a funny kind of balance. It's a funny kind of give and take because I know when I to do a prayer, I'm shifting the truth of the, I'm shifting the universe back to the truth, to revealing the truth. And I also know that I can know that, and I can know that, and I can know that. But if you are mm-hmm. sending out a, an opposing message right. and believing something different, my prayer worked and you have a block to be able to see it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so it could be working all around you. It could be one conversation away. It could Mm -hmm. be one request away, but you won't make that request because you're blind to it or you won't notice it when someone says, I have an idea for you. So, yeah, the, the whole idea of this grief Grieving being a gift, I'm, I'm liking, and the, the reminder that spiritual practice is what gives us the grounding. Um, I'm liking that, too. But there's some, I don't know, there's something else that's trying to emerge. Yeah, yeah, that's what I can see in here, But, but I, it's not, not, there not yet. coming forward. <laughs> there's time, you have time, it'll yes. come. It'll we come. have a whole 26 minutes <laughs> before the end of our show. It's Plenty of time for an, a great idea to come. So earlier you mentioned, you know, that sense of regret and then people acting from this sense of regret or beating up on themselves because they regret Mm
0: -hmm.
1: how they behaved in the past and then we all get this great commitment (laughs) that, okay, beginning (laughs) today. New Year's resolutions, kind of thing. Um, And to me that's really interesting, the regret or the guilt. I feel guilty mm. that I didn't do more, and mm. now with this person or for this person, and now they're gone. Um, so I understand it intellectually, but I have to admit that maybe it's because I was exposed to death very young, and the constant fear—or not even fear of death the The reality, the practical reality, mm. because my dad had four heart attacks, you know when he was in his forties, so I was seven, nine, ten, you know, and I was before I was a teenager, and so maybe it was that that the the potential that he could die right was so real that It never, like, I don't have that sense of fear. It's like it is part of the life process. When you said there are seasons, like, you know, winter turns into spring. Spring turns into Texas hot summer. (laughs) It's like there's a cycle. So there's a cycle of this human life that in the human form looks like birth to death. And we're all going to experience that in our the human expression of our life, that time when we're expressing as a human being. So I think because of that, that whole piece of regret and guilt, intellectually I understand it, but I kind of don't. You don't because you accept the, the cycle? And maybe
0: you just expect...
1: Well, everybody's going yes, to die.
0: But you expect, you, 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 don't, you don't have a sense of unrealistic expectation of yourself. Maybe you allow yourself the human frailty of missed opportunities, and you, instead of going back and saying, if only
1: you have this sense of acceptance of what was, That's interesting, and I actually, I think, oh, so here's how I think that manifests, now that you mention it that way and ask the question from that direction. So I think because that was a practical reality in my life growing up, Mm -hmm. there was also this sense instilled in me of, of, you know, be who you're gonna be with that person because that's how it is, right? So you don't get a chance to, you don't get do-overs. And so you do, you behave in a way that you want to behave as much as possible. You really, you know, I don't keep it in the front of my mind, but now I think it's just a part of, of how I view the world. I think in my, you know, teen years, I really got it that, you don't get second chances if someone dies, which I knew anyway. Um, and so, yeah, have there been people who have died, who I've been connected to, who I feel, oh, I could have done something different, or I could have been with them more, or I could have been kinder or whatever? Sure, there have been people like that, but not in a significant way where I feel really guilty about it or where I regret it. It's like more an observation, you know. Hum, yeah, I could have. But it's always followed immediately with, but you didn't. And so you didn't. And, and you're more, is pragmatic the word? You're, yeah. you're much more
0: able, I think, from your life experience or, or from your spiritual depth, whatever it is, you're much more able to get off center with that more quickly. Whereas I'll just look at that dot in the middle of the circle and go, oh, my, there was that missed opportunity. Oh, my, let's, oh, my, you know. And yeah, you know, and I'm like, to, okay, you know, would,
1: myself up and you're like, like a year ago. I can't do anything about <laughs> yeah. it now, even if the person's still yeah. alive. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question for me always comes out more like not so much I can't do anything about it. It's what can I do now? Mm-hmm. So if the person's still alive, and let's say they just, you know, had a major surgery or they have a stroke and now they can't take care of themselves. So my, you know, my question, what is mine to do or what can I do or what do I choose to do now going forward, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's the kind of question that shifted me after my dad died and my stepmother asked Mm -hmm. me to, you know, would I commit to, Still coming to see her at least once a year, and by then she wasn't traveling anymore. So you know, my my common thing of you know I'll buy your ticket, you come to me because you know I have all the stuff I need to do, right? right. Very uh, busy, yes. And so, but I made that commitment, and yes, at least at least once a year, Mm -hmm. I will come to St. Louis and I will have a you know visit with you for a couple, two, three days. And I did that. But it wasn't, like, it wasn't really related to my dad. It was me seeing that I have an opportunity here mm-hmm. to build a relationship with this woman who's very interesting. And, and then as I got to know her even better mm-hmm. after my dad died, you know, no wonder. Because she was, it was like, it was like I could see me, how I would be in 25 oh, years because well. she was 25 years older than me. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, she'd say stuff, and I'd be like, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what I would say. That's great. <laughs> you know? Um, but it was future-focused. And then I think of um, my bro- one of my brothers, when he passed, you know, it, st- it was still that question, what do I do now or what can I do now? Mm-hmm. But it became more about how do I honor his legacy How do I, it wasn't, you know, oh, all the times I could have done something in the Mm -hmm, past. mm -hmm. It was what do I do going forward? And I think that kind of crystallizes the opportunity
0: in death is how do I language it? How do I experience it to make it meaningful for my future? Um, I'm thinking of a couple of the women in the jail that are actively working on grief and they're, past grief is their parent dying and um, one girl had both parents die and her only sibling and they both had the same sentence when they were going through the grieving is I shut down from everybody else because everybody's going to die so I didn't let anybody else in I didn't I don't have any close friends I don't have anybody that I you know truly love or truly feel connected to because they're just going to die and I'm going to be by myself so I think there's this kind of you know, if we can be an observer to how we experience something, we either use the experience to open ourselves up to the greater good and the next good, best thing, or we shut ourselves down and use that as an excuse to say, "Oh, see, I told you, I should never have gotten close to you, or I should never have, because then you're going to be gone, and then I'm going to feel horrible, and it's just going to happen again." And it is a, it's a, it's a,
1: it's a choice. Uh, that phrase, and then it's going to feel horrible. <laughs> I just know it is, Tracy. it's gonna hurt, <laughs> yeah, so we're human we're having a human experience, and pain is part of it that i mean that what that just triggered for me is we really don't teach or model how to navigate pain and hurt. Yes, we teach and model how to avoid it, how to like... How know, to pretend, right, right, right. how to ignore it, mm-hmm. but we don't really ignore it, we just stuff it. And we, you know, like <clears throat> put our hands in our, our fingers <laughs> in our ears and close our eyes and shake our head and go, na, 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 nah, I can't hear you. It's like, that's really stupid. And... Wow. That's really interesting. How uh do we teach? And and we definitely don't teach our young people. So that means they become adults without any coping mechanism. And... If you're a regular listener to the show, I apologize that I'm going to say this again. You've heard it. <laughs> but this is actually the first time I've had this insight there you go. that it, again, is related for me, related to growing up in the Civil Rights Movement, Hello. being black, sure. and having to deal with um, discrimination and racism and busing and all of that. So I learned very young. Yes that things happen in the world that you don't you didn't personally cause that hurt and you stand up and you keep your chin up like the bus driver told me every morning get, keep your chin up uh, keep your head up and but nobody said don't be afraid they said of course you're afraid but you're going to get off this bus and walk up those stairs anyway because this isn't about you personally, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I really never thought about it. Those were life lessons. Oh my goodness. And yes. facing pain, yes. going through, through the, the pain, pain right, right, right. and coming out on the other side of the pain either stronger or smarter or wiser or just with some self-confidence, self-empowerment. Right. And, I, yeah, literally until this very conversation, I never made the connection that way. Isn't that interesting? Yes. I I was taught. Yes. And what a gift
0: in a backhanded kind of awful way of learning. It. But it was a huge gift, and that, and that has, I think, probably really impacted in a very meaningful way the ripple effect of you in the world. And, you know, it is through those. It's funny, I have a friend who... Uh, Teaches uh, accounting, and he was um, he'd been teaching at a community college for several years, and and he is a, a incest survivor. He was molested by a neighbor growing up, and he's had a really and he's sober now, and but he's had a really um, winding sort of journey. And he teaches in community colleges, and he just loves it, and the kids are engaged with him, and he talks about being sober, and he talks about his. Uh, he calls his God Ashley, and, you know, they have these really amazing conversations in this accounting class, and it's just really, he, uh, he's, you know, um, engaged and enlivened, and it's very fulfilling to him. And he's been doing that for years, and last year he got invited to teach at um, one of the Ivy League kind of schools up on the East Coast. They were saw something on a blog that he had written and said, "Oh my goodness," And so they kind of designed a class that they had wanted that he could teach because he has kind of a higher knowing about different accounting things and so he went into this Ivy League school last week and um had this sort of you know relational kind of teaching style, and half the class dropped after the first class and the class is no longer. And the university actually said, you know, you're not really a fit for us. But his experience of the class, when he talked to me before he knew he had been, you know, let go, his experience was these kids have no life experience that has taught them anything but it's all about me and it goes my way and life's perfect and, you know. And so there we had no common language because they were so entitled and they didn't understand they were entitled and they didn't understand no one lives no one really lives the life they've lived except for a very few sliver of you know society and they were so opposed to hearing you know anything sort of off color in their thinking and it was so upsetting to them that they you know had to drop out of this class and you know I think it it's interesting our life experience the harder quote unquote, the more difficult your experience of all of that that you went through as a child primes you to be this ripple of you know spiritual depth and you know, it's kind of defined who you were and to give people the gift of that, that journey. And people that don't have external difficulty in many ways are kind of crippled to that and they're less
1: prepared
0: to handle, you know, these little kids, when their mom dies or when they get fired from the job or when they have some grieving kind of experience, it's going to be so freakish to them. How could this happen? You know, my my little bubble, something happened, and they're going to be much less prepared, even though I think, you
1: know, that's kind of when the opportunity to really live begins, right, when we have if that you, first if you struggle. See, if you see the opportunity <clears throat> and don't, again, externalize it that, This really has nothing to do with me as all this. The doctors didn't save my mother, and I'm going to sue them. Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, They actually fired me. They don't know who my dad is. Wait till my dad gets there. My dad will, you know, hire a lawyer and go after them. With no self-reflection on you lost the job because you didn't perform as was required and as was explained to you when you accepted the, the job. Right, you know it's like it that will miss over and over that will be a misconnect uh-huh. over and over and over again, so um I'm noticing we've got maybe ten minutes or so, and maybe this is the same, but maybe it's different so the the idea of when someone, especially when someone dies or someone loses a job and they're grieving about it and they're in that sense of personal failure. So we've talked a lot already about how, well I could have done this for that person but they actually feel they personally failed or they caused the problem. Um, or the well, because they see death as a problem, which is funny. <laughs> that language is in our culture, but as yes. it comes out of my mouth, I go, death's not a problem. <laughs> death of a job, a person, it, it's change, yes. and it's, but no, it's so hard. Oh, to change. Okay, so we won't make change our topic for next week because <laughs> be that would well, be crazy. would not be just between yes. grief, change. Um, yeah maybe maybe that's it i mean i i I see the regret and the guilt coming as a reaction to the other person, but failure is more me failure shame that's more internally generated in my mind, yes, and I think you know
0: when you talked about your experience, your 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 whole culture taught you something. You know, keep your keep your head up, keep going, don't deny your feeling but keep moving forward. And I think we do learn from those around us as a little kid, it's almost like the DNA of of how our parents experience grief. And if my mother or father is shut down and, you know, never allowed them to experience grief, so the first time my little puppy dies when I'm a kid and my parents' reaction is, okay, you know, puppy's dead. Let's just go on and go get a new puppy and forget that puppy and don't don't give me any window of grieving. I'm going to then learn, you know, how to deny my feelings or to shut down my feelings. And so it is, um, we teach our children how to grieve and it's an interesting uh, pattern. And of course, you know, if you... Watch people, you know, at some point we we all simply are what we've learned until we wake up and say, no, I have a choice in this, and I don't have to respond out of what has been. I can look at what I want to be, how do I want to be in this experience, and just even stopping and saying, this is a horrible thing, you know, my whatever's happened has happened. Okay, I can accept that, but I need to uh, sort of use it as a catalyst for something something good, and not, not not allowing it to be, not not allowing it to be a stopper, but to be an opening, and isn't that a kind of a choice in terms of, do I take this experience as a stopper, and, you know, do I stop, and do I become bitter, and do I use it as a reason to say, oh, I'll never,
1: I'll you know, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, so I, I had a horrible marriage, and a... <laughs> Contentious divorce, and so I'll never get married again. I'll never date anybody again. <laughs> right. I'll never, you know, go out again. I mean, when people say stuff like that, they get often, not always, but often get frozen in time. Yes, right. They get stuck in. And again, they're in the victim mode. Mm. Victim consciousness is. God, I love victim. Yes,
0: yes.
1: Right. And okay. instead of going, instead of being okay, I've had this experience, and what, you know, I can mourn it. I can. I'm sad that that didn't work out. Right. You know, I'm. I'm sorry, and I feel really hurt that it didn't work out the way I thought it would. And so let me be more clear next time around, <laughs> you know, I'm moving forward. Um, i was thinking what came to mind just now was um, a friend who um, was in a relationship for nine or ten years and the relationship ended, and after about three months, some of her friends were telling her, well, you should be over it by now. Oh, right. You know, just move on. You know, you need to find somebody to date and you need to go out and you need to go places where you can meet new people. And this friend was truly in the grieving process right. and was bouncing back and forth between denial and anger and and just being hurt that the relationship had not continued. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you don't know. You don't know if it's going to take three days, three months, or three years. As long as you're, you know, working through it mm-hmm. and not being in denial or not, you know, ignoring that, you know, your life has changed. It's different now. This person is no longer in your life. They're still alive, but they're no longer in your life. I mean, that's a grieving process, too. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about an interesting ritual for me
0: would be to maybe go back and see where have I locked away or allowed society to tell me to stop grieving. And, you know, even, you know, um, grieving childhood trauma or allowing myself to grieve experiences that happened to me and, and, you know, sort of allowing that, again... Keep coming with this phrase of allowing the feelings to have their way, so to speak, to allow that to have a natural river-like experience where I'm kind of washed away in that, in those feelings, and letting them, letting them go. And um, I, I, I just am kind of coming up with this idea of, of really creating some sort of ritual around, you yeah. know, doing some journal writing or doing something to allow myself to see where have I not. Grieve. Where have I stopped myself from feeling? What have I not been open to at the time that it was happening? And you know, reopening and letting it come and flow through me and and be done. And I, um, <clears throat> looking at my kitty now, obviously I've had a lot of four-legged souls transition, and there's been times in my life where I have shut that down and not experienced it, not felt it, and you know, this could be an opportunity to allow some of that past grief, that past shutting down, that past locking away, to be unlocked and to be unfolded. And I always talk about that with women in the jail. You know, when something's happening now, it can be a bridge to what was happening then, and it can be a clearing. It can be an opening. It can be a, a rebirthing if I uh, if I allow it. Or it can just be more, one more time that I shut down and say, damn
1: it, Bad things always happen to me. See you there. Right. Just confirms it. Yeah, I, I was. Um, yeah, thinking about that. It's like, you, wow, you really want me to bring that old stuff back up too? It just seems like it would be way <laughs> too overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the way our human brain yeah. works? Right. Oh, that, this is bad enough, or this is uh-huh. big enough. I, it, you know, but really, it's just the same thing. Right. It's right. It's the exact. Right. Same experience mm-hmm. with a different name or a different, mm-hmm. you know, wearing a different jacket. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, my body is as overweight today as it was yesterday, but I just put on a different jacket, right. right? And somebody says, oh, that looks better. No, it's just a facade, right? It's not as tight because it's cut differently. <laughs> right? yeah. But the body isn't any different. So it's the same thing, the same experience.
0: And, you know having worked in hospice and watched kids you know adult children it is really a tell like and i talked about that in gambling right it is a tell how people experience the death of the parent or the spouse is a tell of how they've experienced their life you know if if, if, the, if there's a resistance to it or you know now suddenly the the, the child is just missing an action and not participating in the dying process, you know, that's a tell of how they live their life if the child is, you know, at the bedside crying hysterically and, you know, being, being, uh, you you know, using those moments as um, sort of a trying to hang on, trying to keep that person there, trying to, oh, don't die, oh, please don't die, oh, you know, or if that person is really becoming a servant of good to the dying and saying, you know, you know, take take your time to leave, to, you know, take whatever you need to do and, and be, be gone, be, be be whole. I love you, go on. It's a tell of how we have lived our life as to how we live it today. And if I talk a lot in the jail with the women about trying to engage that third eye, that observer eye, to see myself and to see that if I'm being defensive, or if I'm being... Judgmental, or if I'm being resistant, you know that's information for me about how I lived up to this moment, and I don't. Ha- I can make different choices. And if I'm starting to observe myself, starting to pull away, starting to detach a little bit from the experience, then I enter into the realm of choice. And sometimes grieving can be a catalyst because it's such an extreme experience. If I allow myself to let that grief be a catalyst for me to learn about me versus, you know, mm. being being the grief, you know, sort of experiencing right. it in a in a in a way that allows me to grow from it versus just getting uh reacting to it.
1: reactor choice, I guess, is a thing. React or respond. React or reshape. React Oh, reshape. Or oh look at you. PowerPoint in that. I like that. Yeah. Well, that's really all about all the time we can't, we have to dig into grief uh, today. Um, So, we started (laughs) this conversation and it's all about allowing our spiritual grounding to guide us as we go through these kinds of changes. Yes. So, if you're listening and we triggered some idea or thought for you, we encourage you to Continue the conversation with people in your world, in your church, in your community, in your family. And if there are other topics that catch your eye when you look at our archives, please listen in until you can join us again on Say Say Yes Yes to the Spirit.